Good morning, you hope. Our faith story begins some 46 years ago at a little yellow house on Cotton Street. My testimony began when I was living in a hippie culture which absolutely had no future for me. Trying to make a living playing music, drugs and alcohol at every turn, my life was on a sure road to destruction. I had no room for God in my life, but all my friends around me were getting saved and challenging me to a new way of life. It seemed that God was chasing me. My testimony was the typical life of a rebellious teenager of 15. Maybe not as dramatic as some, but still needed Jesus just the same. The world was drawing me into all the downfalls of the day, alcohol, cigarette smoking, pot smoking, rebellion, all the things of that time. But the Lord was also drawing me to Him. I didn't necessarily have a bad childhood, but I had no hope for the future. So I was at a crossroads in my life where I knew I had to make a decision. I thought I would have to give up my music and that was very hard for me because it was an all-consuming part of my life. My moment of rebirth came while lying on my couch one night. In the darkness, everyone in the house is asleep. I wanted to clear my head, so I turned on my record player. Remember those? Music was an escape for me and I would go there for, to do just that. I remember I was listening to a song called Ain't Gonna Fight It. Surrender my will to the one who's calling my name. They tell me once your heart's there, you'll never be the same. I was lying on my back in a dark room when salvation came to me and I've never been the same since. For me, it was when Janita came and shared Jesus with my mom. I was listening and hungry for more. She invited us to church. There was a revival in a small assembly of God church near Eunice High where the Larry Youngblood was preaching. Towards the end of the service, he led the people in a prayer of salvation. Immediately after that, for reasons unknown to me, I started crying and I cried for hours. God had touched me. He started working on me that moment and changed me forevermore. Which brings me back to the little yellow house on Cotton Street. It's where our pastor, Pastor Youngblood and Debbie, came to shepherd a bunch of people who knew very little about Christianity. From the house on Cotton Street, we grew to the point where we had to rent the Northwest Community Center. Every Sunday, we would go, set up chairs, PA equipment, preached, prayed, and ministered. And again, we grew. Next, we built a new church and school. All the while, First Assembly was also building, which is currently the children's church right here. They were growing also. Then in 1995, a new pastor from First Assembly, Pastor Hewitt and Pastor Youngblood brought up the idea of a merger of the two churches. It was a God idea. New Hope Fellowship was born, now called New Hope Church. We immediately had to expand the building to the present sanctuary because we were still growing. Joanne and I are so excited to see what God is doing some 46 years later. We have no idea what the future holds, but one thing is for sure. There is more. This is one of the most historical Sundays I have ever been a part of as a pastor. And I don't just say that to exaggerate. 
this is one of the most monumental moments of this church. As uh, Chucky and Joanne shared in, in their testimony, there was some significant steps along the way. Even the merger of Eunice Fellowship and First Assembly of God in 1995. And this Sunday, Mother's Day 2023, is as historical for us. What we're going to do today, how we're going to close or conclude service today is as monumental as that decision. We have been building up to this moment and many others throughout this series. We, uh, and if you want to know more about this There Is More initiative that we're in, you can go to eunicechurch.com. All of the things that we've been discussing are right there at eunicechurch.com slash more. I want to make sure that you know that that page is available to you. The God is there. Everything that we have for you, it's electronically provided for. Opportunity there, virtual tours there, a special message from Megan and me. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. But I need you to understand this Sunday... I think that Jesus was interested in the things that we have a tendency to put our security in. And Jesus spoke to those things. He only preached for about three years, so he spent a lot of time speaking about the things that we would struggle with. Are you with me? And one of the things that Jesus talked about more than heaven or hell was finances. Jesus talked more, dare I say, Jesus spoke more about earthly mammon or money than he did eternity, heaven or hell. Why? Because he knew 2,000 years later there would be a society full of people that would find more security in their finances than they do put faith in their father. Because if you're not careful, the love of this one thing can become the root of all kinds of evil in your life. And so Jesus spoke to it. We're in week five of a six-week faith journey, and, and you'll understand why it's a faith journey before the end of this message today. It's not just an initiative. It's something that we're doing don't be surprised that you hear babies on Mother's Day. Hello, that's part of the process. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19. This has become our biblical mantra over the last several weeks. I want you to notice that Jesus never just told people what to do. He showed them. Aren't you glad that you, you serve a Savior that can relate to you? The Bible says he was tempted in every way. He went through what we go through, and he can relate to us. He's a, he's a high priest that is relatable and able to understand what it is that you're concerned about. But he led the way anyways. And the Apostle Paul, in praying for the church of Ephesus, he said, Man, if, if I could teach you anything, I pray, in verse 19, I pray that you would know the love of Jesus. Man, if I could convince you of one thing, oh, that you would know the love of Jesus, it would overshadow all of your insecurities. It would cleanse all of your shame and guilt and all the things that you're carrying because you think that the mistakes that you've made in the past can't be covered in the blood. You think that his grace isn't good enough for your guilt. If you knew the love of the Father, 
If you being evil, Jesus said at one point in the gospel, know how to give good gifts. And nobody knows how to give good gifts like a mama. Come on, somebody. Except for a grandmama. Giving undeserving, spoil, rotten little toots, things that they don't need. Come on. And the only person that's worse than a grandmama is a great grandmama. <laughs> and God said to his disciples, if you being evil, well, I'm not evil, there's no one righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you being evil know how to give good gifts to undeserving children, then how much more? Come on, you got to lean in and understand. How much more does your heavenly father willing to reward, willing to give. How much more pleasure does he find? Oh, I pray that you would know the love of the Messiah. It will transcend your current thinking and you will be filled, instead of being filled with frustration and fear and the remorse of failure, you will be filled with the fullness of God. And I could probably end it right there, but I got so much more to share. I got to keep going. Verse 20, now to the one who is able to do infinitely more to the one who is able to do infinitely more than we even know to ask. That's a side note. That's why I believe it's so important that we learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to pray through us in known and unknown biblical languages because we're praying mysteries into the kingdom of God that we don't even know to ask or imagine according to the power that is working among us. Verse 21, to him be glory in the church. Here's what I need you to understand. The will of God is bigger than any individual. What God wants to do, that got like three hearty amens, so I'm gonna say it in a better way to see if everybody will comprehend it. What God wants to do is going to require a church full of people, not just an individual. Not just a few families carrying the load as so many churches are accused of. I want to talk today about God's reward. We saw early in our series that Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And last week I gave you a definition of faith. Faith is not an idea. Faith is not an idea. Some of you need to write this down because when I say faith, you have a thought. And you go, well, I have faith because I agree that God exists. Faith is not an idea that you agree with. Faith is an act of obedience. It's not faith until you act on it. It's not faith until you go through something. Come on, somebody. It's not faith until it's challenged. You don't put your faith in God until you ask him to do something that he does differently or doesn't do at all in that moment, and you stay in the boat even though you don't want to. That's faith without wavering. It's impossible to please God without faith. What is he saying? It's impossible to please God without obeying his voice. Put that scripture back up there. Because he is a rewarder of those who casually, on occasion, when they need something. No, no, no. He'll respond to that because he's that good of a daddy. But those who diligently seek him, those who diligently seek him, 
Guys, this isn't just about this. This is not just about building a church. It's about building people. You've been built through this process. The hundreds of people gathering in groups on a weekly basis, those who have sat in this series, because God can't grow you without stretching you. Come on, somebody. And you can't stretch without being strengthened. That's what he wants to do. And many of you have grown through this process. Since week one, when I came up here and everybody shouted and clapped and praised because I said God is infinitely more. And then the church went silent the next week when I began to share God's perspective of our finances, of our possessions, of our time, and certainly of our abilities. And I said, hear me, God is the owner of everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's biblical. And we are nothing more than his stewards. I gave you this example. I am God's Edward Jones. Come on, somebody. That makes me feel important. That's why I put a sports coat on today. <laughs> that and I didn't want my mama to fuss me because my shirt wasn't tucked in. So I put a jacket over the un untucked shirt and I trimmed my beard down just for my mama. Even though my wife likes it longer and she says I have a funny looking chin. <laughs> it's okay. Unfortunately, I didn't get my mama's chin. I got my goofy looking daddy's chin. So anyways, here we are. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And God owns everything. Here's God's goal. What's God's goal? When I give Edward Jones money, I expect them to do with it what I want them to do. I expect my Edward Jones representative, Mr. Bill Bass, to take my money and accomplish my goal. God has a goal. It's found in the Great Commission. God has a will. He says, this is the will of the Father that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. We know what God's goal is. Our job is to take what God has given us and accomplish his goal. Or we'll give an account of why we didn't, Matthew chapter 25. That led us into week three, which was honestly one of my favorite weeks, learning to hear God's voice. And if, if all the money, I told you one week, if all the money that we needed for this one project, because then God would give us a vision of something else that cost us more, because discipleship and winning souls and building God's kingdom cost. Amen. I'll just keep going because that didn't go over well. But from the very beginning, I said, if everything we needed came in for this project, we would still go through this journey. Why? Because we have people who have followed Jesus according to their own perspective for years that didn't even know that they could ask him a question. We have children of God that did not realize they could ask God a question and he would answer that we are his sheep and we can learn to hear his voice. And I have people coming up to me left and right telling me stories that are taking place in their groups of I have heard, I heard from God for the first time in my life. We had a church full of people that didn't know they could hear the voice of the Father. And we're learning how to hear from God. And then last week, a bit of a challenging message, but we talked about God's invitation and how he allows us to be involved. Why doesn't God just do it all himself? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, Lord, I surrender. Perfect child. That would have been amazing. 
Unfortunately, that has not been my experience. If it is your experience or has been your experience, I want you to come to me. You're preaching next week. You're going to tell us how that has come to pass. But that's not what he does. He allows us to be part of the process. Think back to the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 people. That's like feeding everybody in Tiger Stadium with one sack lunch. Jesus did not need that little boy's meal. He didn't need it. He did not need his disciples to pass out all that food. He let them be part of the miracle. Do you remember when the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years eating manna, there's the loaves, and quail from the sea? Come on, somebody. That's my kind of living right there. I just wake up every day and eat bread and quail. Yes, sir, I am in on that. He didn't need those Israelites to provide that meal. He didn't need that little boy, and he didn't need those disciples. He let them be part of the process. Why? Because when we get involved in what God wants to do, it builds our faith. Because when we get involved on the miracle process that God is about to perform, it builds us as his children. Now, I know this may surprise some of you, but I have not always lived for Jesus. My mother is not, however, shocked. And neither is my wife, because she actually met me B.C. That's before Christ took my life. Now, um, I would say, you know, I was a pretty good kid, even B.C. I mean, I, I didn't give them a ton of trouble. I mean, there were certainly some, some moments. I mean, in 18 years, I got arrested one time. Those are pretty good odds, pretty good odds. Like, I was in the back of one police car in 18 years. That's pretty good. I'll tell you that story at another time. Certainly, I gave them some issues, but here's, I was, I was extremely manipulative, and if I'm not careful, I still am. And God, can I just, in second service, I didn't say this first service for the sake of time. That's why I'm so careful when I talk about money. Because I know where I'm weak. And I know that the enemy loves to take the strengths that God has placed in your life and use them to expose you in your weakest moment. I grew up, I, I just, just naturally, I would just lie. It was just easier than facing the consequences of telling the truth. I would just manipulate. If I thought I could get away with it, I would do it. If I didn't, I would get somebody else to do it. It was just part part of the process. And actually, I found, like, I would get really excited. Like, it stirred something in me, like the fruit of the forbidden. I loved to steal. I know, it's weird. It's crazy. It's not good. That's why I get up when we pass the offering. I'm just kidding. That's not... (laughs) Not even remotely tempted. In fact, so when, when, when I started playing baseball, every time I got on base, I was looking to steal. Didn't matter what base I was on. Didn't matter if my coach thought I should. I've been in the dugout counting the timing of the pitcher, how long it takes for him to come set and lift his foot. Is he too consistent? Can I take off before he lifts it? How high does he lift it? How quick is he to the plate? Does the guy behind the plate have a rocket or a noodle arm? Can I steal on the pitcher or the catcher or both? Should I just take off running backwards because neither one of them are worth trying to count anything? I would look at all of those things. And I would steal. Every time I got on, I was looking to steal. And I stole a lot, especially my last year. I stole a lot. I'm talking about every time I got on, I stole over 30 times. I got thrown out once, and I wasn't out that time. <laughs> I was out other times, but I wasn't out that time. I only got thrown out one time. 
And I found a lot of pleasure in it. Like, I love making a few thousand people stand up on their feet. I dove through somebody batting right-handed one time, slid right through his legs, safe at home. It's so fun. It's awesome. I was like, take, 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 don't swing, don't swing. I dove through his legs. (laughs) But as fun as that was, I'm now the dad that stands on the outside of the fence with his cell phone. And I watch my daughter who gets hit by a pitch like this. She doesn't jump out. "Uh -uh, It's going to hurt me. This softball is going to kill me. No, it's soft. It's a softball. (laughs) She goes to first base, and I'm like, yes, that's my girl. She's still second. And I'm like, underlay, underlay, arriba. (laughs) They make a bad throw. She rounds third. like, she's so fast. She gets it from her mama. I was slow as Christmas when I was her age. (laughs) I find way more pleasure and watching my son preach his first sermon. I find way more pleasure in watching my daughter worship God with her gift. Guys, listen, that's why God allows you to be involved in this process. Because he could just do it himself. But it's way more glorifying for the father whenever his children hear his voice and they get involved and their faith begins to grow. The Father finds so much more pleasure when we make a commitment and we keep it and we watch him reveal to us what he had for us the whole time. If you're taking notes when me, write this down. Number one, God sees past our gift, and I would probably even add our gifting because he gave it anyways. He sees past our gift into our heart. God sees past our gift into our heart. In Matthew chapter 12, we see this woman who is referred to as the widow of two mites. Now, I don't, when I think of mites, I think of tiny little bugs. But when the Bible says mites in the English translation, it's essentially equivalent to two Roman pennies. Look with me in verse 41. The Bible says that Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Okay, I love you and I love God. And because I love both of you, I can't leave out certain portions of scripture just because that topic offends people. Here's what I see in this passage. Every time that God speaks to me to give and I don't do it, he sees it. He's watching Every time that God speaks to me and I do it, he sees it. He's watching. He's watching the people bring their offerings. This was an Old Testament practice that was expanded into the New Testament. Remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament, but to fulfill it, to take it further. And then the story goes on. I won't read you the whole story. You can go read it later. But essentially, there were rich people who were coming and, and people were giving a lot out of their abundance, which yes and amen, come Lord, let it be. But then this one little widow with two pennies came by and she dropped her offering into the bucket. I can even hear the pennies hitting the sound of the bucket. Meaningless to so many people who thought that they had given so much. And yet Jesus looked at her and he said, that, that. Did you see it? 
And they're like, what, what? Somebody gave a lot? Man, we missed it. And I know this one person, she gave what she had. Everybody else gave out of their abundance, but she gave from her heart. And for the last 2,000 years, think about this moment. This lady, she's got two pennies. It's all she's got. Should I give it? Should I not? Can I trust God? Can I not? And she walks up and she gives it. And for the last 2,000 years, people have been preaching this passage. And millions of people have been inspired by her story because it wasn't about the amount that she gave It was about the obedience in which she gave. Write this down if you're taking notes. It's not in your notes. You're going to have to catch it on your own. It's never about the amount of the gift. It's always about the obedience of the heart. It's never going to be convenient for you to do what God tells you to do. It's never going to be easy If it were easy, then Jesus would have flipped the story or the example of the roads that people travel. Remember, he said, wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. But small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there will be that find it. It's never, a, you know, it's just not a good time for us to get married right now. That's great. Stop sleeping together. You know, it's just not a good time for us to give right now. But that's great. You need to reprioritize your finances because your treasure is an exemplification of your heart. Well, you know, I, we really want to serve. It's just, we're just so busy. Then you're busier than God ever intended you to be because your servanthood is a reflection of your salvation according to his word. Guys, it's, it's never going to be convenient for you to follow Jesus. The enemy will always give you an excuse to procrastinate on God's will for your life. Oh, that's good preaching. I'm just trying to stay where God wants me to be. I don't want to walk in the excuses of the enemy. I want to walk in the anointing of the Father. Orphans walk in excuses. Children walk in anointing. And you can follow Jesus and trust him every step of the way. She gave from her heart. It wasn't about the amount. It was about the obedience, even the sacrificial obedience. She sacrificed in the moment. But I'm telling you, today she does not see it as a sacrifice. Number two, if you're taking notes, it's not about equal contribution. It's not about amounts. It's about equal obedience, which is why I told you several weeks ago, all we're asking you to do with us in this journey, in this historical moment, is to ask God and to do your best because everybody matters. The widow's pennies matter. Everybody's gift makes a difference. Every single child that is a part of this project, every person can leave a legacy. Did you hear Chucky's story? My man was a pothead hippie headed to musical fame. And God said, hang on, wait, wait, wait. I have something way better than that for you. And then this morning, he stood back here and played his acoustic guitar as his grandson ran all over this facility because he's on staff full-time at the church 
and his granddaughter-in-law led worship to the song that he played the acoustic behind. Oh, you have never sacrificed anything for Jesus. It's just a matter of whether you want to live your own dreams or you want to leave a legacy that will outlive you. Am I investing in myself or am I investing in his kingdom? I'm talking about widows today that don't think that your gift is going to make a difference. It matters. Your $10 a week or a month, if it's sacrificial, if it's obedient, if it's stretching your faith, and hear me, God has never built me or strengthened me or my bride. We agreed on this. We talked about this. In all the seasons of our life, since we truly began to follow Jesus in February of 2006, in every season, when God strengthened me spiritually, he challenged me financially. I want you to go into full-time ministry, Chris. All right, let's go. Sell your house. What? We don't know where we're going. I didn't ask you. I know where you're going. You sell your house. Because when you get there, I don't need you to be tied to a mortgage that you can't get rid of. Every season that God strengthened our faith, he challenged us financially until finally we learned how to move here and take a church that ended $30,000 in debt the year before and watched him multiply it to where there were some years over the last seven where we put $300,000 a year in the bank, which we desperately needed whenever God sent 84 students that needed a classroom in a building. We've learned how to trust God and watch him work so faithfully. I wanna share with you, I told you, it's not, it, it's, it's not about those who just own businesses and, and who can give tens of thousands or, or maybe even there, there are people around here that can give millions, praise God. Listen, if, if you wanna have a contest to who can give the most, you come to me, I will tell you the biggest pledge and you can beat it in the mighty matchless name of Almighty God. If you wanna, but that's not what it's about. That's funny, but it's not what it's about. It's about learning how to hear the voice of God for a 90-year-old that thought God was done with her life or his life. It's about the single parent, the single mom, the single, it's about the child that's learning how to trust God. I remember sitting with my mama in the football stadium of Airline High School when the power team, y'all remember the power team? The power team was here when they built this building for the first time. Hundreds of people were coming to the power team and I had $45, you remember this? I had $45 in an envelope and I was like, mama, I wanna give to the power team. She was like, how much do you wanna give? I said, I wanna give it all. She goes, Christopher, it was by the way, the only person that is allowed to call me that. <laughs> Just kidding, kinda. Christopher, that's all of your money. I said, I know, but I, I feel like I'm supposed to give it. She said, very well. And we did it. And I remember that moment. I don't remember what God did with that moment. I just remember the moment that I began to learn how to trust God. As a child, teenagers are learning how to trust God. We have a story of a, a young man. I, I, I don't, his name is Dakota. Many of you know him. Dakota has very little. Uh, he started coming to this church by walking across a graveyard to get here. He now rides a bicycle or walks. He doesn't have a vehicle and very few, or very seldomly does, does somebody bring him because they know he's gonna get there. It's not a big deal. That's how he is. He's going to make it. One Sunday before, I, I believe it was before this series. I don't, wanna fall, I don't wanna speak out of turn. Before we even started preaching all this stuff, one Sunday, Dakota walked in with an envelope full of change and cash. And he brought it to Tanner 
And he was like, hey, what do I do with this? He's like, what is it? He said, this is my stash. It's my, it's, my, it's my money for like candy and Cokes and snacks and stuff. That, like I save it and then I, and I can get things that I want. He's like, oh, I don't know. Look, take it to Miss Megan. <laughs> he comes over to Megan and he's like, Miss Megan, what do I do with this? She's like, what is it? Because we were in youth ministry and when a teenager brings you an envelope that is sealed full of stuff, you're like, take it outside, dude. I don't know what you want to do with this. Don't set it on fire and put it on anybody's doorstep. That does not need to, I don't know what you want. <laughs> what is it? He's like, no, no, no. It's my stash. It's my stash. I tried to, she was like, well, you can, it's, it's like a, it's an offering. She, he's like, yeah. She said, well, go, you can put it in the offering box. He said, I tried, it won't fit. That's why we started passing the buckets. <laughs> don't want you to have offering that don't fit. Come on, somebody. That's, anyways, I thought it was funny. I'll just keep going. <laughs> Every Monday we celebrate in our staff meetings what God is doing in the lives of people. And one of our staff members brought this up. And at first we were like, <laughs> We're really amused. We're like, Dude, that's funny. Because it's so him, his stash. And then all of a sudden, I heard the Lord say, if everybody in your church would do that, you never have to ask for another thing again. And I said, whoa, hang on. Guys, do you realize this guy just emptied his savings account? That's, uh, that's, all, that's, that's, that's his money. He's a full-time student. He predominantly takes care of himself he rides a bicycle here every week like that's that's all he that's his savings account that's us going to the bank and saying empty the thing god told me to bring it to the church and i told that story at our leadership commitment event last sunday night and the story of a teenager inspired hundreds of people to make a commitment and come through on that commitment isn't it interesting sometimes that it's the faith of a child that inspires the obedience to the voice of the Father? Number three, faith plus obedience is greater than fear. Faith plus obedience is greater than fear. Faith alone, the way that we define it, requires obedience. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it's a very popular passage. Apparently, Timothy had some insecurity issues. Apparently, because Paul also wrote, wrote to Timothy, he said, hey, don't let anybody despise you for your youth. Nobody's written me that letter recently. When I first got here, you know, a lot of people called me young men. Now they just say, hey, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> But, but Timothy, the leader of the church, was obviously overwhelmed by what God was asking him to do. And Paul says, hey, God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity. Now listen, this is a different word I want to teach for 30 seconds. This is a different word from the Hebrew word in the Old Testament that says it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of all wisdom. This is not a healthy fear. This is a different word in the Greek. I preached that message, that it's good to have a reverent fear of a holy God who is an all-consuming fire. That's healthy. In fact, I think we need to return to it because if we knew who we were saying no to, oh, come on. Yeah, and nothing like one, uh, the look on a kid's face, specifically mine, when I hear him say something ignorant to her and I say, who are you talking to? Not her. I was just doing it. It was just taking me a minute to process what she was asking me to do, but I'm doing it now. So I, wasn't even, I didn't even know she was talking to me. I was uh, 
thought she was talking to somebody else that is the same name as me, maybe. She was watching an old video. <laughs> if you knew who it was that you're saying yes to, Come on, if you knew what God would do with your yes, you would never say, if I knew what God would do with our yes, I would have never even wondered, really, God, is he calling us here? No, 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 if I'd have known, but he doesn't tell you until you're obedient. God has not given you a spirit of fear. This, this word means coward, this fear. God has not given you the spirit of a coward. Come on, I'm talking about healthy fear. I'm not talking about being afraid of a person. I'm not talking about being afraid of an employer. I'm not talking about the fear of man or woman or the fear of lack or poverty. And, I, and this hit me hard in first service. And even though I don't really want to, I, I feel like I'm supposed to do it again as an act of obedience. I'm telling you right now, in the name of Jesus, I cast the spirit of poverty off of this community in the name of Jesus. Every person in this room, every person watching online, I do not serve a God who is subject to the economy of a specific place. I serve a God who owns a cattle on a thousand hilltop, the hilltop and the minerals underneath. And if he can do it around the world, he can do it right here in Eunice and the surrounding area. I rebuke the spirit of poverty and I receive in the name of Jesus, Jehovah Jireh, the God of provision, the one who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than I even even know to ask through, uh-oh, uh-oh, through my obedience. See, I believe that God loves when we move from consumption to contribution. God loves when we move from consumption to contribution. I'm going to leave that on the screen for just a minute because Megan and I have been serving in ministry since about 2007. I preached my first message at 19 years old before I was even really fully surrendered to Jesus, and then I drifted away and fell off the wagon for a couple of years. But I have noticed in just my short tenure of about 15 years, I have noticed that we have created a consumer Christianity in the United States, specifically in the Bible Belt. We have mistakenly taught people as those people were following Jesus, looking for a miracle for what he would do for them. We have created a society full of people who call themselves children of God, but they do not contribute to the kingdom of God. And here's what I've noticed. Predominantly, the consumers never stay. The consumers always fall away. The consumers always drift from field to field, whether God is in the field or not, because they're not looking for what God can use them to do. They're just looking to use God to do what they want. However, I've also seen this. That when, when, it, when it registers, wait, 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 God didn't just save me from sin. He saved me for something. 
when it registers and they go from just consuming on a weekly basis to contributing to the kingdom of God, those are the people that stay. Come on, those were, the, those were the 80 people still here in the summer of 2016 before 200 came back in for a few months. Those are the Chucky and Joannes who saw the thing through and caught the vision of God but stayed obedient whether they caught it or saw it or not. Those are the people that sowed into this church when the district wanted to come shut it down because it could not afford. Those were the people that met together in a boardroom when they couldn't pay the bills of the church and said, you know what I think we should do? I think we should give more to missions. I think God will honor it. And they came together and they started supporting missionaries. It seems foolish to man until you hear the voice of God and watch him provide in ways that you didn't know he could provide. And that year, not only did they save the church, but they paid off debt and they were able to build and encourage, expand God's kingdom even through. And so those same men are sitting in boardrooms with me saying, Pastor, we've seen him do it before. We've seen him do it before. When you move from consumption to contribution, here's number four. What you do to build God's kingdom lasts forever. We have reached a pivotal point in the history of this church. What you do to build God's kingdom lasts forever. I want to give you these scriptures because I want you to understand fully. In John chapter 1, these aren't on your screen. I want to go through them quickly. John chapter 1, verse 1, he opens his gospel saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. I've tried to memorize these. He says, Through him all things were created, and nothing that was made was made without him. Here's, here's, here's what gets interesting. Verse 4 says, In him, this is a reference to Jesus, In him was life, and the life was the light. Everybody say light. We just woke five people up. Thank you. In him was the light of men. Verse 5 says, And the light shines in the darkness. The light shines in... Okay, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to... No, 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 it's not your fault. I'm sure... I'm so grateful that our guys are able to come, and I'm thankful for their service when they have to leave quickly. It's only the distraction of the people that I wanted to wait on, not what they have to go do. Um, the light, what a great example of light going to shine in the darkness. In fact, the Bible continues, and the darkness cannot overcome it. And then Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 4, you are the light of the world. Wait, I thought it was Jesus. It was. Until he prophesied that it shall now be you. You are the light of the world. Nobody takes the light, puts it on a lampstand, and covers it up. No, no, no. Let your light shine therefore before men that they may see your good works and give God glory. And then, I got one more. It's too good not to share. I know, I'm, I'm in a hurry too. I want to bring my wife up here. But the, the next time that we hear Jesus talking about the light is in the parable of the soil. 
I believe it's Matthew chapter 16. No, Matthew chapter 13. The parable of the soil. And you see four types of soil. I won't teach on that right now. We just know that Jesus said this. When you sow into good soil, you reap a harvest 30, 60, and 100 times over. And then he says this. I love this down in verse 28. And the righteous shall shall shine like the sun. And that was just the S-U-N. When you sow, when you give, when you get involved and you contribute, God begins to shine the light in the darkest of places and the darkness does not have the ability to overcome it. I'm gonna ask my wife to join me. I want you to hear our heart today. Any preacher that likes to stand up in the pulpit and talk about money is confused. And there are some people I know on one end of the spectrum, they say things like, oh, all the church cares about is is money. Okay, so those people are confused as well. In fact, the people that say that, that's actually an indicator that all they care about is money. That didn't go over well. In fact, if everybody was as generous as those people, the kingdom of God wouldn't get built. And then on the other end of the spectrum, some of you are like, oh no, is Pastor Chris about to frost his tips and start wearing pinky rings? What is going on right now? Sow your seed of $1,000 today and get your miracle. No. See, here's what, if we're not careful, we will be afraid of what God actually said because of the abuse of people that took things that he said and used it for their own personal gain. The ignorance of abuse does not change the anointing of his word. So here we are, and I want to invite you to take this pledge card all across this place. There was one in every seat. It be one per person or one per family. And as we always say, listen, if you're a guest, man, Mother's Day, really? I know, this is how God laid it out. Thank you, Lord. But then again, I thought, I will never forget Mother's Day, 2023. That was the day that we came together and we asked the Lord what he wanted us to commit for three years. If you look on this card, you'll see weekly, monthly, annually, or maybe as a one-time gift. Assets, income, offerings, CDs, stocks, bonds. I don't know. I don't know what God is gonna tell you. I can tell you it will fit into one of these three categories. It will either fit into what I can afford, because that's how generosity works. It will fit into what do I need to sacrifice? And I'm gonna pause on this one real quick because please don't just start making cuts to things that God didn't tell you to cut. Our staff began to tell, because some of you are thinking, man, if I cut cable, because if you do something that God doesn't tell you to do, then you will, be, you will come into a place where you become resentful instead of revering what he's asked. Some people have, 
I'm not going to re- renew my deer lease this year. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I'm telling you, you need to know that you know that you heard the voice. As my wife and I were willing to donate my salary back to the church this year, and I'm looking at it like this little boy who gave Jesus his lunch, and I'm going, God, it doesn't matter what I do. This isn't enough. It's not enough to feed all these people. And the Lord says, no, but when you put an offering in my hand, I multiply it. Megan and I are asking you, now if you were at our leadership commitment the other night, then I wanna invite you to come again. But to just write, if it's the same, then just write duplicate. If it's different, then just write change. I want you to fill out the bottom portion of that card, specifically if your significant other's here. And even, especially if your children are in the room, let them give with you, let them see. Let them watch. Megan, that's one of the things that Megan asked. God, the last time we did this, our children weren't old enough to be affected by it. They didn't know what was going on. They don't remember Chris crying in his bedroom when I couldn't afford to go to my first appointment. They don't remember me trying to decide whether I could buy groceries or go to my second appointment. Lord, I don't want our children to resent ministry because of what we think you're asking us to do. And then he spoke to her and he said, no, no, no. This time they're old enough. They're old enough to see the miracles. They're old enough to remember the provision. And this season is gonna grow their faith the way that season grew yours. So all we're asking is that you would take a few minutes and that you would pray over and above what you're already giving. Now for some of you, this is your first step And I'm gonna invite you to join us in tithing because you've never done that before. The first dollar of every 10. I don't know what God's gonna ask you to do. I just know that he will ask you what you can afford, what you can sacrifice. But for many of you like us, you've been doing this long enough. He's gonna go, no, no, no. What can you give if you trust me? All of those are supposed to be on the screen. What can you give if you trust me? In other words, God's telling you to do something that when you think about it, you can't do it. And you're gonna have to believe for him to provide in order to be able to come through on what you're committing. Now, if you need more time, then pray about it. If this annoys you or offends you, or if you're a guest, I release you. I do not want you to feel the pressure of this moment. In fact, If you just wanna fill out the bottom half of the card and you don't even wanna put anything on the top, that's fine. In just a minute, actually about the next 10 seconds, Pastor Letitia and Pastor Weston are gonna lead us in a song. And as you fill out your card, we're gonna do a very biblical thing today that we've never done before. Just like David did with the people in the building of the temple, just like Moses did with the people in the building of the sanctuary. We're gonna invite you to actually bring your offering forward and place it in the baskets. We're just asking that you would hear from God and be obedient to what he asked. As you write down your total, as you write down your gift, I want you to come and place it in the basket. Father, I pray that you would bless your people. Help us to hear from you and obey your voice right now. In Jesus' name.